If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. There's a little bit of a ring I'm getting. I don't know if nobody else hears it. That's fine. Uh, we're going to be continuing our uh, series that we started last week, just a short three-week series on the liberty of self-forgetfulness. Last week, as you remember, we talked about uh, the conditions of the human ego. To be able to be self-forgetful, to not think about yourself, we had to deal with the conditions of our ego that makes us think about ourselves all the time, that works every conversation and every situation about me, myself, and I. And now we're going to pick up where we left off. We looked at last week verses 21 to 23 of 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, uh, and now we're, and we hovered around verse 6 of chapter 4. And now we're just going to walk through verses 1 to 5 of chapter 4. We're going to be following Paul's thoughts as he begins to move into something that I've called the transformed view of self. How Paul now sees himself in light of the gospel, and how you and I should see ourselves, and the Corinthians should see themselves as followers of Christ. And by doing that, we're going to look at something called the evaluation system that we all fall into. And this evaluation system that we all fall into is broken. But there's a gospel one, there's a true one, that we are to live by. So we are going to discuss this in the transformed view of self, that we're no longer operating out of our broken egos that think too highly of ourselves or too poorly of ourselves, which is a deflated ego, but we are to live from the transformed view of self. So with that in mind, would you grab your Bibles and let's read. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 4, says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Then each one will receive the commendation from God. So reads the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that our service could not be any more saturated in prayer. We love to spend time with you. So, Father, as we go to your word today, God, we just ask that you would move upon our hearts, that as we gleam truth from your living and active word, Father, would it pierce our hearts and would it change us and conform us into the image of your Son? We ask all this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we see in verses 1 and 2 is Paul just reminding the Corinthians of who he is, how he should be regarded, that he is a minister, a servant of Christ. And what is his job? His job is stewarding the mysteries of Christ. And we could spend hours unpacking what that means, but we're not going to do so today. But dovetailed with with uh, Paul's uh, job description, in a sense, is Paul begins in verse 3 to push back against something that's called the evaluating system. It's the 
criteria for evaluation that the Corinthians were using. And he begins to push back on it and says, this is how actually the evaluation system is and how you should evaluate yourself and how we should evaluate ourselves. Because we as humans, we love to evaluate. We love to evaluate things, but we especially love to evaluate other people. It's just what we do very well. And just like the Corinthians, we too today in 2022 have a flawed system for evaluation that leans towards tearing other people down in order to build ourselves up. We love to find flaws in someone that we think is perfect to make us feel better. Well, yeah, they're talented, but they really struggle in that area. Just so you know, right? (laughs) Because it makes us feel better. So our evaluation system is flawed. We don't like to give people a chance, but we like to make premature judgments, snap judgments, just like the Corinthians did. And we kind of see Paul hinting at this in verse 5, and he shows the weakness, the flaws in the Corinthians evaluation system. Let's read that again. It says, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So what we see from this verse is firstly, that their evaluating system, their system for evaluation is premature. That's the first flaw. It's premature. They are making snap judgments before they have all the information, all the relevant information, which is why he says, do not pronounce judgment before the time. You're jumping to conclusions. You're, you're writing this person off. And in light of our, our, our sermon last week, he's talking about this church division between Paul, Apollos, and all these things. They're, they're making all these judgments about the other leaders prematurely. Secondly, they had a know-it-all posture that is derived from the premature nature of their judgment. They're they're making these snap judgments off of this know-it-all stance, which is why we see him say, before the Lord comes, who will bring light to the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. What Paul is talking about there, that might sound a little confusing. What does he mean by that? What he's talking about there is the inward intentions of our heart, the inward motives of humans. And for Paul to mention that would suggest that the Corinthians were actually making snap judgments about something that they had no right to make judgments about in the first place. Something that they would not be able to because human can have a full knowledge of somebody else's full intentions. What the true intentions of their heart is only what the Lord knows. So he's saying, you're, you're coming from a know-it-all, or I would say playing the God card. They know something only God knows and are now making snap judgments on that behalf. Thirdly, it shows it, it, that it's a short-lived and limited praise. And we see that by when he says that you'll receive your commendation from God. They're after this knowledge and, and praise from man, but it's short-lived. But in light of God and his, his reward and evaluation and reward on behalf of that evaluation, because it's on Christ, he's saying it's just short-lived. You know, stay true for your commendation from God. And all of these issues, I would pinpoint, is derived from a self-appointed authority. Viewing yourself as the self-appointed authority with the ultimate authority on issues and failing to recognize that an evaluating authority lies elsewhere. 
Paul claims that this authority that is bigger than any individual and more significant than any justice system, or as Paul said in the verses, human court, there is a cosmic evaluating authority, and unless an evaluation of others that we do, or evaluation even of ourselves, is done in light of this cosmic evaluating authority, it will be out of alignment if we do it on any other grounds. And it will be faulty, broken, premature, from a know-it-all stance, and just false and short-lived, which sums up our everyday evaluation experience that we all go through. It's premature judgments made by a self-appointed authority who possess limited knowledge of the situation, whose opinions hold no true weight. But however, once we place ourselves into this cycle, these evaluations feel like they have all the weight in the world. They're crushing They weigh us down. The Corinthians bought into this cycle hook, line, and sinker, and they had a misconstrued way of evaluating, which caused divisions in in the church and in their lives, which then we must kind of pop out of the text for a second and look at ourselves and self reflect and go, how do we evaluate others? How do we evaluate ourselves? And how do we want to be evaluated as Christians? These are really good questions. Because are we a slave to the opinions of other people? Are we, are, 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 does our evaluating have anything to do with pedigree, with style, with position, with influence, with power, production, or output? Because often it does. Or are we, as I said earlier, evaluating in light of this cosmic authority, which is more significant to us, which we'll flesh out in just a couple of minutes. And even though we live within this broken cycle that we're, we actually become used to and conditioned to, we're tired of it. Deep down inside, we're tired of it. We're exhausted. And we know there must be a better way, another system. It's not endemic. It's not how God intended it for us in the garden. The cycle is good to us in those few moments that we're performing well and we're putting out well and we're, and we're, we're putting our heads down no matter what the weight and we're pushing forward and we feel accepted, but it's an impossible way of life to maintain because we end up being paralyzed by the opinions and judgments of others. You don't have to put your hands up, but who has ever felt paralyzed by the opinion of someone else? It's common, yeah. You see, the survival of the fittest, which we all kind of have this mentality for, is a workable as a textbook philosophy, but it is unworkable approach to life. It's exhausting. It weighs us down. We cannot bear the crushing weight of the microscope of this evaluation storyline. And the effects of this broken system, although we're talking from a Christian perspective, is not a Christian problem. Yes, the Bible's talking about it because it's a human problem. It's a human problem that all humans are in. Just listen to what Richard Leahy, a prominent psychiatrist and anxiety specialist says. He says this, The average high school student today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. The same anxiety levels as a psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. The New York Times reported in 2011 that 30% of American women admit to taking sleeping pills before they go to bed because they can't sleep due to the weighing pressures of people's opinions and evaluations of them 
and the anxiety that this causes. And when I was reading these, and there are many, many more, when I was reading these, I asked the question, why is this? Why is this the case? Why is this common? And the only answer I could think of is that people are exhausted. People are tired. You see, pretend this this bag, for instance, is our life. Because these are post or sorry, pre-pandemic stats. So pretend, you know, th- this bag is our life, and we have the opinions of society that are weighing us down in this bag, and it's a little bit heavy. Then we have our parents' opinions of ourselves, and they're weighing us down. Then we have our boss's opinion of ourselves, and it's weighing us down. And then the biggest one, we got our self-opinion that keeps us in here and beats us up and talks bad about ourselves all the time in the mirror. And we take this bag, and we have it on our shoulder, and we begin to walk heavy throughout life, and we're tired and we weigh down but then in 2020 this pandemic gets thrown into our our laps and it just increases this exhaustion increases this pain and we're walking around and now you can't even say hey i'm vaccinated or unvaccinated without somebody jumping down your throat you can't say hey i think protesting is good without be calling a racist or you can't say hey i don't uh, uh, support the protesting without being called a left-leaning liberal, sold sold out to those agendas. Because everyone's tired and everyone's ready to snap and fight because we've only been weighed down our whole life. But then we had two years of a pandemic that has separated us, has divided us, and made us angry at each other for no reason. And my friends, we are living now in a time when the news of God's inexhaustible grace has never been more urgent because the world has never been more exhausted. It's a beautiful thing that we can share with the world. They're exhausted. We are exhausted because we live our lives in front of this this storyline, in front of the watching eyes. And we shrink under these watching eyes and everything we say is under a microscope. And we say one wrong thing and we're canceled. We're removed. But because, but just because we live in this cycle and the cycle is common and we're all aware of the cycle doesn't mean it's the proper one. It doesn't mean it's the one that we should thrive or try to live under. And it's not the one that we should desire, which begs the question, Well, what is the desired evaluation system? And we don't have to look much further than our verses today. Paul gives us a glimpse of this type of evaluation that we desire. And I named it something really simple. It's the desired evaluation. You shouldn't forget that. Paul laid out for us the evaluation system that the world we see so commonly, including the Corinthians, operate under, which feeds our egos, puffs us up with pride, and it hurts others, and it causes division in our lives and in the church. But then he goes on and states the desired evaluation process, one that is constructive and not destructive. In these verses, Paul is hinting at the idea of self forgetfulness the the transformed self not being a slave to the opinions of others and always guessing your obedience to the lord because brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so in the church might not think highly about that sometimes it's no issue of the world that's holding us back 
We kind of blame that, oh, we're afraid to be obedient to the God because we're uh, God because we're afraid what the world might say. A lot of times, what handicaps us in the church is we're afraid of what the person in the pew next to you might think. We handicap ourselves to be obedient to the Lord. But Paul is hinting at something that frees us from this. We see this clearly in verses three, uh, three to four, which says. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not therefore acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. And that's where we're going to focus. The word translate judge here has the same meaning as verdict. It's the same word for verdict. Think of it it as like a stamp of approval. The thing that we all long for. We want to be approved. We want people to approve of us, that they would like us. So we do things that we would never do so they would stamp their approval and we become a slave just to receive. I hope they like me. Be it your parents, your job, the church, the world, your neighbors. We strive and lust after the stamp of approval. That people would think that we are a somebody. That they would like us and think we're cool. But Paul is saying he doesn't look to people uh, or to any human court for this sort of stamp of approval for this verdict. Paul is saying to the Corinthians that he doesn't care what they think of him. He doesn't care what anybody thinks of him. His identity owes nothing to what people say or the judgments that they lay on him. He finds no self-worth in the verdicts of humans or their judgments, be them good or bad. Now, I need to pause here and say, this does not give us permission to live carelessly. It does not give us permission to treat people like garbage. We all know those people, and maybe there's some in this room who have an I don't care personality that tramples over other people, that hurts other people, all along claiming that they don't care what they think. That doesn't affect me. It's all about me. And that would, that would harken back to last week's sermon, which says you're egotistic, and you only care about yourself so much that you don't care if you hurt anyone in your way. No, this is not what Paul is after. Paul is after our sense of identity. He is after our egos. He knows that our natural disposition as humans is to crave attention from others, to desire their praise no matter the cost. And Paul is arguing from his identity in Christ that none of that matters, that the opinions of others and your obedience to the Lord is not contingent on people's approval of you. It doesn't matter. You may be thinking this is an obvious conclusion. Yeah, I get that. I know we shouldn't care what people think of us. And if you go to most counselors today, they'll tell you the same thing. They'll say to you, and maybe you tell yourself this as well, that it only matters what you think about yourself. It only matters what you think. Uh, You need to choose your own standards. And the counselor's advice might be something like decide who you want to be and then be that person, set your own evaluative system, and then live by it because only your opinion of yourself matters. And this is how we often deal with people with low self-esteem in our modern world. We tell them that they need to see themselves. Wake up early in the morning. Look yourself in the mirror. Tell yourself you're beautiful. Tell yourself that you're worth it and you're going to go the mile for yourself. And it doesn't matter what people think. And to preach this, uh, uh, this self-help gospel to yourself. And then you set those standards and you accomplish them. And then you make your own evaluating system. But Paul's approach 
couldn't be more different than that. It couldn't be more different. He cares very little if he's judged by anyone, by any human court, but then he takes it a step forward and says, I don't even care what I think about myself. I don't even judge myself in verse 3. It's like if he's saying, I don't care what you think, but I don't even I don't even care what I think. I have a very low opinion of your opinion of me, but I have a very meager pin of opinion of my opinion of myself as well. And the fact that Paul has a clear conscience, he goes to say, makes no difference. Look carefully at verse 4. He says, for I am not aware of anything against myself. Meaning, he doesn't know if he has sinned or not, but he's not aware of any sin. But he, then he goes on and says something really important. But I am not thereby acquitted. I'm not justified. I'm not, I'm not innocent because it's the Lord who judges me. That's what matters is his opinion of me. Paul wasn't saying that he is above approach. He's saying that even if he is living above reproach, it doesn't matter if he thinks so because his evaluating system isn't ultimate. It's like this. Hitler could have easily stood up and said, hey, I have a clear conscience on everything I did. But does that make him innocent? Come on, that's an obvious answer. No, he is evil. If we feed Paul our modern remedies of dealing with self-esteem, telling him that he should set his own standards, he would respond by telling you this. It's a trap. It's the same treadmill you've been running on, just a different treat at the end. He would say that that's not the answer. That remedy, it's like a pyramid scheme. It promises a lot up front, but delivers nothing. And it makes you a slave. Oh, if you could just make one more sale, one more thing, and then you'll get your bonus. But just, for example, look at your list. You can't live up to your parents' standards. You can't live up to your employer's standards. You can't live up to society's standards, your spouse's standards. And the obvious answer to that is not that you then try to live up to your own standards either. Because they're just as crippling as others. You see, Paul doesn't go to the Corinthians or himself for his sense of identity because he knows trying to find self-esteem by living up to any particular set of standards is just a trap. So the question is, then, where does Paul go for his sense of identity? Because Paul understands that the Lord's judgment trumps all judgment. Our judgment, others' judgment, the Lord's evaluation trumps all evaluation, even self-evaluation. And even if we can't, I, on the streets and I talk with people about if they're guilty, they're like, well, I'm not guilty. Even if you can't find fault within yourself, that doesn't justify you. Paul doesn't connect his sin with his identity, and he also doesn't connect his success with his identity. No, Paul is taking us in the Corinthians into uncharted territory, something that we don't know much about, not because the Bible's not clear on it, just because we don't live by it. Paul's ego is not puffed up, as we talked about last week, but his ego is filled up. He is talking about humility. Paul says that he has reached a place where he, uh, he is not thinking of himself anymore. When he does something wrong or when he does something good, he does not connect it with himself anymore. He is not ego-driven any longer. 
I love how C.S. Lewis captures this in Mere Christianity. He makes a brilliant observation about this thing called gospel humility. And at the end of his chapter on pride, talking, he, he, he talks about what it would be like if we met a truly gospel humble person. He says this, We would never come away from meeting them thinking they were humble. They would not always be telling us they were a nobody because the person saying that they are a nobody is actually a self-obsessed person. Okay, pause there. I'm going to jump out of the quote. The person who always is beating themselves down, oh, I'm not worth it. It's a false humility. It's actually pride disguised as humility, and they're all about themselves. That's what he's saying. Okay, jump back into the quote. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of the gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking uh, thinking less of myself. It's just simply thinking of myself less. We all know that person who we enter into conversation with and they rework everything back to themselves. Hey, I feel tired. Oh, you don't believe it. I am tired. Oh, I have a sore back. Oh, yeah, I get you. I have the worst back ever. Hey, I went skydiving today. Well, have you ever did it blindfolded? I did. And you're like, come on, man. Stop trying to one-up me. We all know that person who has this unsatisfied need to continue to work every single thing back to themselves. And if you're, if you're getting a little nervous, they're like, hey, that kind of sounds like me. That's all of us. We are all self, uh, in, in, inward. We all like to work towards ourselves and look towards ourselves. But that's the point of gospel humility. As we look to Christ, we realize that we don't have to do that. We actually look to Him. We don't have to make it about ourselves. We can genuinely be happy for other people. Gospel humility is not needing to talk about myself, not needing to connect every experience with myself. It's an end to thoughts as such as I'm in this room with these people. How does that make me look? Does that make me look good or does that make me look bad? How do you think Jesus could sit with sinners, drunkards and prostitutes and not have it connected with him on an identity level? Because he wasn't concerned about the righteous's judgment on who he hung out with. But, oh man, do we Baptists who don't even put cards on that table in front of me. Don't you dance. No, I'm kidding. But we, we like to separate us from the world. And we like to live a holier-than-thou life because, hey, that might make me look bad if I get caught talking to that person. Especially in a small town. Gospel humility means we can stop connecting every experience, conversation with yourself. In fact, you just stop thinking about yourself. It's the liberty of self-forgetfulness. The biblical approach to evaluation is attractive because it appeals to the more human parts of us. It's the parts that God has instilled in us that sin has corrupted. It's more human to die to oneself, to give to the needs of others, to make sacrifices for other people. True gospel humility means an ego, an ego that's not puffed up, but it's filled up. It is not, it, it's a totally unique thing. We're not talking about high self-esteem, and we're not talking about low self-esteem. 
Paul is simply refusing to play the self-esteem game because truly gospel humble people are not self-hating people and they're not self-loving people, but they're self-forgetful people whose egos are just like their toes. They just work. They're there. You jump out of bed, they balance you. You don't think about it. You're not thinking, okay, I'm going to put my feet down and my toes need to angle the proper way to keep me balanced. Now, if you've lost your toes in accidents, maybe that's different. But uh, most of us, we don't think about our toes. They're just there. And they keep us there. and They keep us balanced when we stand. They don't draw attention to themselves. Just like an ego that's not hurt doesn't draw attention to itself. A person operating in a self-forgetful way wouldn't be badly hurt by criticism. They wouldn't be devastated by it. They wouldn't be up all night thinking about it. Because if they were, then they would be putting too much value on what people think. The self-forgetful person with a filled ego and not an inflated ego will hear criticism and see it as an opportunity to make change in their lives. Because the more we understand the gospel, the more we understand we need to change, to be conformed to the image of Christ. None of us are perfect. None of us has arrived. So if you receive criticism, even if it's unfounded criticism, you can filter that through the gospel and go, yeah, there's probably something true about that because I'm a messed up sinner. <laughs> you know, like I need to change. I understand that. And you just shelve it and you take what you can and you change what you can in light of the gospel. Operating out of this broken system handicaps us because it feeds our prides and it puffs up our ego. All pride is good for is to make us stagnant, to paralyze us, to make us stuck. We get stuck in the same old trap, on the same old treadmill, the same old hamster wheel. But gospel humility makes us nimble, flexible, to overcome. When things come our way, we can adapt. We can overcome and be free from being a slave to the opinions of others and live in light of Christ's acceptance. Which, my friends, this is your answer. This is your answer to your freedom from always needing to be honored or being afraid of the opinions of others. This is your freedom from lusting for recognition or even being afraid of recognition. This is your freedom from beating yourself up or being a slave to unrealistic expectations. Truly, to be happy For the person who wins gold while you just consistently win silver or bronze or nothing. I got those participation ribbons all the time. Uh, This is your freedom to be who you are in Christ, to not strive for attention, to, to not work every conversation about yourself, to have a filled ego that is satisfied by the Lord. This is your call not to think of yourself, uh, to, to think of your more, more of yourself like we do in modern cultures. This is not, this is not, this is your call not to think of yourself less like in traditional cultures. This is your call to simply just think about yourself less. It's not all about you, but it's about Him. And it's about His, the acceptance you have in Christ. Because Christ lived the life we couldn't. He died the death we deserved and he rose again on our behalf and he clothed us in righteousness, taking our sin and exchanging it for his good works and his righteousness so that now we are accepted on the basis of Christ and not our own works or evaluations. And I know that sounds too good to be true, but it's the gospel. We will talk about next week how, how we can live this way. We talked about the transformed view of self, but how? Do we 
begin to train our eyes and our minds and our egos to live in light of those truths. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are a good father. I thank you, Lord, that the gospel tells us that it's not all about me. It's not all about the hoops that I jumped through. It's not about receiving any other stamps of approval, but it's about receiving your stamp of approval, which we have through Christ Jesus. And on the basis of nothing else, we are saved. And we thank you for that freedom that we have. Lord, help me and help all of us to continue to live from this truth, to not connect everything to ourselves, but to be concerned for others and to share your love with them. Father, be with us as we return to our own context. You know what we're heading into as we go into our workplaces or back home. And Lord, would you just be with us? And may we, we, may we glorify you in everything we say, do, and think. In Jesus' name, amen. You're blessed. Have a good Sunday, and don't forget your kids downstairs. <laughs>